Right now, I'm going to welcome up a good friend, my best friend, Luke Hazemeyer, to give the message. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Yeah, so I'm really excited to share with you all what's going on this morning. And to kind of intro the topic, have you ever rediscovered something before? Like something that you discovered at one moment and you got a lot of joy from it, you got a lot of excitement from it. I'm thinking like you ever buy a piece of clothing and you just like loved it. Like it was your favorite thing that you wore and then you wore it like, you know, for a year straight and you got bored with it, put it in a closet somewhere, folded up, put it in a drawer that you don't look at. And then like years later you found it like, oh my gosh, like why did I stop wearing this? Or another example for me, when I started at Miami University and was living on campus there, the food hall closest to my dorm sold sushi. And I could use my meal plan to get sushi. And so I was like so excited about that. And I ate sushi like three times a week for five weeks straight. And then I probably didn't eat sushi for five years after that because... (laughs) I was just so like burnt out on it. But then five years later, I, you know, after kind of deciding that I didn't like sushi anymore, I tried. I'm like, wow, like sushi's amazing. Why did I ever stop eating this? I didn't make the mistake of eating it over and over and over again like I did back then. You know, you get wisdom as you get older. But um, have you ever rediscovered something before? If you have, if you can relate with either of those examples, it's kind of a season I feel like me personally, I might be stepping into. Just in my own walk with Jesus, I've recently been feeling like God is calling me to rediscover the joy of his presence, to rediscover the excitement of the presence of God. You know, I have been following Jesus now for a little over eight years, and um, discovering Jesus was an amazing thing. Just um, going from living without him, being present in my life, to living in a relationship with him was amazing. And then three years later, after that, I got to discover the presence of God. And that was around 2013 and into 2014. Wow, those were exciting years for me. Just seeing God move in a tangible way, like not just reading about what he did, but literally seeing him do the things that were written. In, in the book, in the Bible, was incredible. And it was just, just like, it felt like an action-packed couple of years for me personally. And discovering the presence of God was incredible. But then as years kind of went on, it, I was getting further and further from the point in which the presence of God was a novelty in my life And I still was all about the presence of God, and I still am to this day, but kind of some of the excitement wore off. Can you relate with me? Is there a part, is there something God has shown you at some point in your relationship with him where it was like incredibly exciting in a moment, but then once the novelty wore off, some of the excitement decreased? And I'm not saying it's how it's supposed to be. Maybe it's unavoidable. Maybe it is avoidable. But my point is, for me, some of the excitement decreased a little bit. And now when I go to Holy Spirit conferences where people are praying for the presence of God to come and like the person leading, it says, all right, 
Who wants to come up here and experience God? And people are running out of their chairs to come to the, for- come to the front to experience God. I'm kind of the one standing there like, okay, yeah, I've been in plenty of these conferences before. I'm just going to kind of smile and walk up and find somebody to pray for and look around at what's happening and remember that I'm an expert in all of this. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and there's part of that that can feel kind of good, like, yeah, everyone else for them, this is new, but for me, I understand this. But I always want to be the person running forward. Don't you? Don't you always want to be the person who's like, God, I, I'm desperate. I have to know more about you. I have to experience more of you. And I think sometimes we can look at our spiritual life and view it kind of like a checklist where it's like, okay, 2014, that was my presence of God year, check. All right, 2015, that was my character year, check. And the problem with that is that I don't think we can build a checklist and ever check anything off our list because I never think there's an end to what God wants to show us or reveal to us in a certain aspect of who he is. Like he's eternal and infinite. If he's infinite, that means his presence is infinite. And if his presence is infinite, that means that there are infinite things for me to learn about his presence and for me to discover about his presence. So um, I'm not totally sure what's going to happen. I got stuff prepared. I, uh, I want to follow his presence above everything else as I'm up here. And so let's just pray. And uh, yeah, I just I welcome you all to join me on this journey. Maybe you're not in the same place that I am, but I hope that God has something for all of us. So Father, we love you. And we are desperate for your presence, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit. So would you come in the room right now? Would you come and pour out your favor and your anointing on our ears to hear what you're saying? Just move today, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a quote. It's a quote from a famous pastor and leader and teacher in California. A lot of you know Bill Johnson. This is what it says. When we pursue kingdom principles above his presence, we are looking for the kingdom without a king. When we pursue kingdom principles above his presence, we are looking for the kingdom without a king. What's his point? His point is that it's possible to advance his kingdom without honoring him as king. It's possible to do things for God, but they're the things that God's not actually calling you to do. You know, Moses also had this heart for not putting principles above his presence. This is what Moses is getting at in Exodus 33, 14, and 15, and this is what it says. And God said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. You know, Moses understood there are many things we could do, but if it doesn't involve your presence, God, I don't want any part of it. I only want to do what your presence is doing. And yeah, we're talking about like evil and sin here. God's presence is never on evil. It's never like blessing sin. And so, yeah, we don't want to do those things. But additionally, we can do good things that are not the things that God's presence is saying do. And when we do things that God's presence is not blessing, that God's presence is not leading us to do, then 
Good stuff might happen, but it's probably going to be ineffective. It's probably going to be sterile. It's probably not going to have the kind of impact that we're hoping that it does. And so we need to be a people that are presence-driven, that are our first thought, our first, the first thing we look for is God's presence in deciding what to do. And so Moses also understood that the presence of God takes priority over everything. Everything. God's presence needs to take priority over every single thing in our lives. And so the question I'm thinking about then is, well, how do we ensure that that's the case? How do we ensure that we don't go anywhere where God's presence is not going? How do we ensure that his presence has primary influence? And I think a big part of that answer is in Proverbs 7.15. So let's read that. Therefore, I have come out to meet you to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. Listen, everybody, something we need to know is that anything short of passionate pursuit of God's presence is not enough. Like, it's not okay just to be like, yeah, I'm a presence guy, but just kind of like an average, you know, not getting too crazy kind of presence guy. No, we need to be passionately pursuing his presence at all times. And when we realize we've lost passion, we have to be desperate to get passion again. Passionate pursuit of God's presence is going to be the thing that makes, that allows his presence to be the primary influencer in our lives. God's presence needs to be the primary influencer in our lives, and it's passionately pursuing his presence that brings that about. Let me say this another way. I can know what the primary influences are in a person's life by watching what that that person passionately pursues. I can know the primary influences in a person's life, if I watch them and I see what are they passionately pursuing. I have some friends, really close friends, Wilson, Jen, Amanda, and Phil, who I've watched them raise their first child over the past two years. And um, Will and Jen's daughter, Haya, is approaching a year and a half, and uh, Phil and Amanda's uh, son, Wilder, is approaching two years. And I think I've been able to learn just from watching them that, yeah, if you want to know who's got primary influence in a person's life, look at who they passionately pursue. Wouldn't you all agree that babies passionately pursue the presence of their parents? Passionately, right? Are you following what I'm saying? (laughs) Passionately, right? Man, like, I think babies understand day and night worship better than we do sometimes. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, you, if I were to ask um, anybody, who is the primary influence in Will and Jen, in uh, Haya's life, Haya's Will and Jen's daughter? Everyone would be like, well, Wilson and Jen, mother and father. There's a reason why that's true. Haya passionately pursues their presence. She is desperate for Wilson and Jen. She knows she needs Wilson and Jen literally to live. And in the same way, if you want to look at yourself and figure out who's got primary influence over my life, look at whose time do you passionately pursue? Whose heart do you passionately pursue? Whose life do you passionately 
pursue. And by the way, something I wanted to say is that um, Will, Jen, and Man and Phil are such amazing parents. Like, I feel like I am cheating for when Jamie and I start to have kids because I'm just getting to learn a lot of stuff that they have had to kind of learn by themselves. Just want to tell you guys that. You're amazing. <laughs> so, if money is the primary influence over a person's life, then you can bet they probably passionately pursue money, right? If a career, if someone's career has the primary influence over their lives, then you can expect that they are passionately pursuing that career. And so what do, I, what do I mean when I say primary influence? I mean that what's best for my career dictates all my decisions. That's how you know that my career is primary influence in my life. Or if I had to choose between my career and anything else, I'd choose my career. That's how you know that a career would have primary influence in your life. Or the main thing I pour my passion, energy, time, and resources into is my career. You can tell what someone's primary influences are by what they passionately pursue. And so if we want the presence of God to be the primary thing influencing our lives, we have to passionately pursue him and pursue his presence. And so what you passionately pursue, it reveals what's most important to you. And Jesus, he makes it clear in John 6.63 where true life comes from. John 6.63 says this, The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. That which is of the natural realm is of no help. The words I speak to you are spirit and life, but there are still some of you who won't believe. Life comes from the presence of God. And so as we look through the Bible, we see that the presence of God was fundamental and non-negotiable for Moses. The presence of God was essential for Solomon and for David and for Jesus and the apostles and the first century church and the second, third, and fourth century church. Like the presence of God has been something that's been fundamental throughout all the scriptures. But in the modern church, a crippling idea has crept in and it has probably affected all of us at some point. And the idea is this, Many believe experiencing God is less significant than most Christian activities. Many think that experiencing God is great, but there's way more important things when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus than experiencing God. Like being a committed member of a local church is way more important than experiencing God. Or sharing your faith with your friends and family, like so much more important than experiencing God. Or overseas missions is more important. Or experiencing God is great, but if you have to choose between experiencing God and pursuing your spiritual disciplines, like spiritual disciplines every day of the week. And so there's this idea that experiencing God has become expendable, an expendable part of Christianity. It's like, yeah, that's great, but a lot of people won't experience that, and it's no big deal, because they'll be fine without it. And yeah, just, there's people who, and there's also people who believe in it, like, yeah, that's something I think happens, but they could go two years, three years, five years without experiencing him, and be totally content in their walk with him. And so people who think this way, this mindset that exists in our world, it deep down reveals that Um, a belief that experiencing God is expendable. 
And so I really believe that that idea, the idea that experiencing God is less important than other Christian activities, disempowers Christians from living out a biblical lifestyle. Disempowers Christians. If we believe that experiencing God is expendable, we are disempowered to live out the lifestyle that the Bible teaches. And so, an analogy I was thinking of to make that point, um, it's kind of like, say, so if you were choosing to focus on, say, share your faith instead of experiencing God, like, I'm just going to put all my focus here and I'm not going to really worry about experiencing God. It'd kind of be like going to grow a tomato plant and be like, all right, I'm going to put all of my energy into pulling the weeds out from this tomato plant at the expense of watering it. It's like, I'm going to really make sure all those weeds are out, but you know, water, don't need to water, it'll be fine. <laughs> it's kind of how we think. I'm really going to get into, the, into doing Bible study and I don't really need to experience God. What's going to happen? We're going to dry up. And actually, God is designed, we, I think we compartmentalize stuff that God has called us to do. Like, that's something someone might actually think. I'm going to take my focus away from experiencing God and put it into fill in the blank. Like, we actually think that way sometimes. And I think God's looking up at us like, I made those two things to be dependent upon each other. Like, you can't share your faith with full effectiveness unless you are experiencing God's presence continuously. In the same way, if you want to experience God more, go share your faith. Like That's going to ramp up experiencing God for you. God has designed these things to be connected, and when we isolate them, we actually harm the thing, the harm the thing we think we're putting all of our focus on. We need to be experiencing God's presence. <clears throat> so it disempowers us. Let me put that another way. Every aspect of our life, physical, spiritual, and emotional, is disempowered when we undervalue the experience of the presence of God. I'm convinced every aspect, yes, physical, I'm going to talk about that later, emotional, and spiritual, it's all disempowered. You know, it's kind of like like living the Christian life without experiencing God's presence. It's kind of like driving a car without power steering. Any of you ever had your power steering go out before? Not a fun thing to experience. Arms are pretty tired afterwards. Um, you know, it's so I like that analogy because it's possible to drive your car still without power steering. Now, it's harder to get started. It's, you're less flexible. You're less um, adaptable for change. Um, and, you know, if God had a straight highway for you, if that was kind of your spiritual path and that's all you had to do, you'd be fine. But the thing about God is that sometimes he likes to take us on really winding roads. And when we're on, you know, if you don't have power steering, you're trying to drive up a super windy road, you're going to go off the road. Like we need to be experiencing God's presence. That is actually something that allows us to be flexible and to be able to take a sudden left or a sudden right if God's calling us to do so. Experiencing God actually facilitates that. So before we go any further, I kind of want to define what I mean by the presence of God, because it's a term you can throw out, you know, over and over again, and some people think it means this, some people think it means that. So I got a really, really good definition for you. I think it's very thorough, okay? Here's the presence of God defined. God. (laughs) 
And I'm not just being funny. Like, the presence of God is God. We overcomplicate it so much. It's like, well, the presence of God is like this mist that comes into the room and moves around. And so the presence of God is God's, is God being present. Okay, enough said about that. Let's talk about what the presence of God is not. The presence of God is not a feeling. Contrary to what a lot of people believe, especially critics of our movement. You know, like, oh, you're just feeling focused. The the presence of God is not a feeling. So when Jamie and I have been, my wife Jamie and I have been apart for a long time, and I'm at home, and she walks in the door, I feel happy. I feel happy because her presence wasn't there, but now her presence is there. And so the feeling of happiness is not her. You know, she is the cause of the feeling. In the same way, when God's presence comes in a room, what we're experiencing is the effect of his presence being here. It's not like he, like if you say you feel, your arms feel shaky. It's not like God is like going down to micro size and like moving into your arms and move. And like, it's just the effect of his presence being in a room because he's God. You know, the scriptures say that the mountains quake at the presence of God. And so my, some people are like, I, I don't shake in God's presence. Like, if the mountains quake, what, thinks you, what makes you think you're not going to quake in his presence? <clears throat> and so, since God is the cause of the feeling, not the feeling himself, we need to just remember that we're seeking God, not seeking an experience. And in fact, when we experience God, we should, that should be the thing that draws us to seek God more. We should never get caught in the trap of wanting to seek an experience. The experience leads us to seek God more. So it's kind of like if you're brought to tears because you're experiencing the love of God and his presence in a room, you know, a week later when church happens, because of that experience, seek him all the more. Don't go into the room like, okay, I really want to cry today. I'm really hoping I'll cry today. Like, seek him because he brought you to tears last week. Presence of God is not an inanimate force. Talked about this. This one also is kind of, doesn't bug me, but the presence of God is not an it. Like, we don't refer to the presence of God as it did this, it did that. Presence of God is God, so we um, refer to the presence as such. So, that's kind of a definition for you of to what it isn't. But I made the statement er- earlier that when we undervalue experiencing him, it disempowers every aspect of our life. And I want to talk a little bit about why I think that's the case. So here's why experiencing God is essential for the believer. It is non-negotiable. It is not extendable, expendable. Number one, it teaches and reinforces us to expect God to show up at any moment. When we are in a habit of experiencing him, we expect him to show up at any moment. It reinforces that mindset. These aren't going to be up on the screen, but in 2 Samuel 21.1, a famine strikes the land in Israel. And the first thing that King David does is seek the presence of the Lord. And I wonder for how many of us, when something bad happens in our life, is seeking the presence of God the first thing we do? 
or when something really good happens, is seeking the presence of God something to do? Or when our life is just normal, are we seeking the presence of God like King David did? And I think the reason that King David, his first response was to seek God's presence was because he was so used to experiencing God's presence. Like he was such in the habit of experiencing God's presence that when something, whenever something would, um, whenever a like, disaster would strike or whenever anything significant would happen, the first thing he would do is seek the presence of God. And when we are in a habit of experiencing his presence and pursuing his presence, then we're training our mindset to be like, God can show up at any time. Paul says in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul said, hey, the Holy Spirit brought you a person that was spiritually dead to life. But it wasn't like, I think sometimes we think that when we got saved, it was kind of like God totally saved us outside of anything we could do. And then he's like, all right, time to get out of the nest. Boom, kicks us out. And it's all on us from that then on, you know? It's all about our strength and our willpower and our endurance. But point is, like Paul's saying, if you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't fall out of step with the Holy Spirit. Be constantly doing what the Holy Spirit is doing. Be constantly focused on what he's doing. Acts 4.31, so the church, for us, the second recorded time in the book of Acts, it says they were filled with the Spirit and they went and spoke the word of God with boldness. Anybody feel like they need to be more bold in their life with the Lord? And if that's the case, I want to tell you, like, experiencing God's presence on a regular basis fills us with boldness. So really what I'm talking about here is when we are passionate about experiencing God's presence, we are training ourselves to have an active God mindset as opposed to a passive God mindset. Active God mindset versus passive God mindset. What's an active God mindset, you ask? Glad you did. God is mostly involved in the everyday affairs of my life. When we have an active God mindset, our mindset that we live with is that God's mostly involved in the everyday affairs of my life. Like, God probably cares when Jamie and I are talking about where we're going to go on vacation. God probably wants to give his input in on that decision, you know? Um, Passive God mindset, on the other hand, is that we believe that God is mostly uninvolved in the everyday affairs of our lives. Like, God wants to talk to us at church, and every once in a while when uh, something significant, like maybe something um, bad happens, we pray to him, or um, maybe when something really good happens, we thank him. But overall, he's mostly uninvolved in our lives. Like, that's a passive God mindset. If you... uh, if you want to know whether yours is more active, more passive, I'll just ask this question. Like, what's your first thought as you realize you're beginning to get in an argument with your spouse, parent, or close friend, someone close to you? What's your first thought as you're getting into an argument? Is it, okay, God, um, what are you doing? Or is it, okay, I'm going to win this. I'm going to defend myself. And tell you what, a lot of times, that's my first response. I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to make myself heard. And... I don't, I'm not saying that you should, feel con, you should be condemned and feel like you're a horrible, horrible person if you can identify with me in that. But what I am saying is that God's got more for us. God wants our first thought as an argument is happening to be, okay, Lord, what are you, what's your, what, what are you doing? What is your presence doing right now? 
And think about how much better those discussions would go if that was our first thought. Or what about when you're behind at work? Like when you are overwhelmed, there's so much you gotta do, is your first thought, okay, Lord, let's do this. Or is it, all right, gotta do this. Again, I identify more with the second one. I'm rediscovering his presence right now. And so if we wanna have an active God mindset, we gotta train ourselves to think, okay, God wants to be involved at all times. And the only way that he's not gonna be involved is if I shut him out. And a lot of times we shut him out, not because we are like mad at him or rejecting him or don't value him, because we just don't think about it. And so what I'm saying is that that mindset that just doesn't think about God, that forgets about God in everyday life, if you passionately pursue experiencing his presence, more and more you will expect him to show up in the moment because you're training your mind. God is real, he's not distant. He is active in my life. Another reason why experiencing God is essential for the believer, absolutely essential, is that God, believe it or not, this might sound kind of funny to you, but it shouldn't. God always intended to have a physical relationship with us. He always intended to show his love to us in our bodies. He always intended to interact with us physically. Why do you think he made, he gave us a body? Like there's this idea that, okay, God made us body, soul, and spirit. So we've got a spirit, it's a spiritual part of us. We've got our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, and we have our body. And a lot of us think, okay, God obviously wants to interact with our spirit, and he wants to interact with our mind, will, and emotions, but our body, no. But why would he give us one if he doesn't want to interact with us in a physical way? Like, is, like what he said, it was good, right? When he created, he said, he looked at his creation and said, it is good. So bodies, physical bodies are good. They're not this like evil thing that we can't trust ever that God has not, wants nothing to do with. And so we're actually like pushing out God in a way he wants to show his love to us when we're not passionate about experiencing his presence, I did some research, this is really interesting stuff. I did some research on the effect of physical touch in relationships. And so this is what I found. Um, There are bonding hormones that are actually released as a result of physical intimacy, not just sexual, but all kinds of physical touch, showing love through physical touch. And um, the hormones that get released, oxytocin and dopamine, are primarily responsible for when we start to feel close to someone start to trust someone, and are, feel happy towards someone. Okay, God created those hormones so that when we have relationships with each other, that when we express our love physically for each other, we actually feel closer to each other, we trust each other more, we feel happier with each other. Another study, so this is a two-week study of physical touch. Um, by the end of the two-week study, those that experienced a lot of physical touch had lower blood pressure, reduced stress, and actual cell growth in the, in the hippocampus, the part of the brain that manages stress. Like God designed us to experience um, health benefits, emotional benefits, spiritual benefits from physical touch. 
And we see that in our relationship with each other. So why do we think God doesn't want any part of that? If God designed us to literally, like, to be more alive when we were experiencing touch, then I think it's pretty silly to say he doesn't want to touch us. I'm not talking about in some weird way. I'm saying revealing his presence to us so that we can physically discern it with our senses. Like that is a part of loving God. You cannot separate that out from loving God. Like in fact, God um, designed the fullest expression of love that we could possibly express to someone or that we could receive. He designed it to have spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional aspects all woven together. And so you take one of those out, you're taking out that fullest expression of love. So in seventh grade, I saw God's presence being released to a room for the very first time. And it was at a conference called SOS. Teacher's up there. He says some stuff. I don't remember anything he said, but I do remember that he said, Holy Spirit, come. And I'm looking around the room, and all of a sudden, I'm like, why is that person crying over there? And so I'm kind of like an awkward seventh grader with no social awareness. So I literally like walk over to the person, they're on the ground, and I just kind of stare at them. <laughs> <laughs> and people are praying like, thank you, Lord. I'm like, well, they're crying. Why are they saying thank you, Lord? And then I thought, okay, I guess crying uh, can be a good thing if God's doing it. And then I look over this way. And there's someone like belly laughing. And I'm like, wow, rude person over there. (laughs) And I look back over and they're still laughing and someone's praying for them. So again, it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Stared at them. I'm like, huh, I guess when God's presence comes, sometimes people get so much joy, they can't stop laughing. That's awesome. And then I look behind me, and there's this guy worshiping, and his hands are doing this, like very, very uh, slight. Look another way, look back again 30 seconds later, and his hands are doing like this. Look back again, he's on the ground, like literally looks like he's having a seizure. And so I'm like, oh no, like someone's having a seizure. Like, is, is the ambulance coming? Like, someone call 911? So I walk over, and then I see someone praying. I'm like, well, okay, I get praying for healing, but. Like, let's also call an ambulance. But then the person's smiling. I'm like, okay, I've never seen someone smile while having a seizure. And I look down and I realize, huh, I guess sometimes God's presence causes us to shake. And a lot of people think that when a person sees this kind of stuff for the first time, that they're immediately going to be like, whoa, weird, fake, I'm not about it, inauthentic. But for me, it was really that honest genuine, childlike response to, wow, I guess God does this. And I want to challenge all of us that we should have a childlike response when we see God manifesting his presence on ourselves or on other people. I love the story that Van tells. It's stuck in my mind for so long that when he first was seeing God move like this, he saw a man with super long hair, smiling like he was drunk, dancing around in a circle, banging a tambourine. And Fan looked at him like, okay, like that is obviously too much. And then God spoke to Van and said, Van, what do you see on that man's face? And Van's like, joy. I say, okay, what do you think is in his heart? And Van's like, I don't know. And God said to him, that's right, and you don't need to know. 
And I think we need to have the same attitude when we see God moving on others, on ourselves. Like we could wonder, hey, are they being fake? Are they not? Is there something going on there? But I think a lot of times we just don't need to know. We just need to have a childlike attitude. Okay, I guess God does that sometimes. So after that experience, um, the whole, there wasn't quite a ministry time like that at SOS for the next amount of time I was there. And I remembered that, but I didn't really see it again um, throughout childhood. Then adulthood came, and when I first came to the Lord for those first three years, I was all about apologetics and understanding God um, from a logical, rational point of view. And so I didn't really have much value for experiencing him. Um, but then, house group started in 2013, house group's ministry of the church uh, that started with young adults. And I um, started to see God moving in those ways again a little bit. But then I attended a conference in Illinois in 2014 called um, Doing the Stuff 2. And it was called Doing the Stuff 2 because it was actually the first Holy Spirit conference the vineyard had in um, in like 10 years. This, the other one had been called Doing the Stuff. And so I was there, and a guy named Randy Clark was speaking and teaching, um, and a guy named Robbie Dawkins, and the leader named Phil Strout. And the teaching was pretty good. It was about the presence of God, and it was new to me, so I was really learning it and really enjoying it. Um, but then ministry time came, which basically was at the end. They said, hey, if you want to experience God, let's stand, come to the front. And so about, there's a thousand people there, about 200 people went up to the front, but I was not ready for what was about to happen because Randy Clark started to invite the presence of God and it, the whole room like turned into a war zone is what it seemed like. Like it wasn't just the people up front, it was like the people that didn't go up were getting impacted heavily by the Holy Spirit. People are falling, people are crying, people are laughing, people are shaking, people are yelling out, and I'm just like looking around like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I remembered, oh, seventh grade, like, huh, you know, I guess God still does this stuff. It wasn't just back then. And then my second thought was, are these people just getting hyped up in the moment? Like, are they just having an emotional experience right now? And I then realized in that moment, I had to make a decision that would be pivotal for the rest of my life. And I decided, you know what? I, it's possible. It is logically possible that people are faking it, that people are just getting caught up in a moment. But Lord, I'm gonna choose to believe that this is you and I'm going to choose to let you show me what is, you know, what's the false and let you show me what the real is. And I'm so glad I did that. Um, and so that whole year, like I said in the very beginning, was just crazy exciting. But as the years went on, I kept going back to that conference year after year. It changed names. It became More Love, More Power 2015, 2016, 2017. Brings me to this year in 2018. I was there and they were doing a Holy Spirit ministry, and granted, it wasn't quite as dramatic as it had been in 2014, but I'm kind of standing there, I'm like, okay, uh, I kind of feel like I've done all this before, I've seen all this before, um, the, the wow is gone, and I realized 
Back then in 2014, the best way I can describe the experience I had when I saw God moving on that room was wonder. I just had absolute wonder and awe at God. And I realized I had lost some of that. And I felt like God in that moment was saying to me, I've got so much more for you, Luke. I'm ready to wow you again. I'm ready to put you in a place of absolute awe and wonder again. And I think for us here in this room and a part of this church, I think God is ready to wow us again. I think God is ready to put us in a place where we're just absolutely blown away by him. And all we can do is look around and, and just feel that, that wonder, that awe of his presence. Um, and so what I want to encourage you to do, exper- make experiencing God a part of your daily life. And you know what? It's not in our control. You can't make an experience happen. But I think a lot of times God is looking at our heart, and if we are desperate, if we are over and over again asking and pursuing and chasing down him to come and reveal his presence to us, I think that's the very thing that is going to lead to us experiencing his presence. And so, um, passionately seek his presence. Get used to living your life while interacting with him in a tangible way, and I promise you you will start to see him show up more and more in your daily life, not because he's like rewarding you, but because you are actually more, or your mind is more oriented to look to see how he wants to move in an everyday situation. So that's all I have for you this morning. We're gonna move into the next part of our service. I'm gonna welcome Wilson back up.